Ben Zalen is a writer, director, and composer based in New Orleans, Louisiana. His films include the four-time Oscar-nominated Beats of the Southern Wild, Vendi, and The Short Glory of the Sea. He composes music for his own films and others such as Brimstone Glory and Mediterranea. He also works to help emerging filmmakers make impossible projects through the Court 13 Collective, producing on films such as Burning Kane, Kimmy Liberty, and No Kings. Ben Zeichen, uh, welcome to The Creative Process. Thank you, thanks for having me. Uh, so I've just seen Wendy. I'm actually dying to see it in the cinema because I know things being on shutdown, so I know that's not the full experience, but I just have to say what a beautiful film and, and so, so sensitive. Um, and it just made me reflect a lot, as with Beast of the Southern Wild, but you know, this kind of challenging question, I think, for artists or for everyone, how do you maintain your innocence and imagination through maturity? Uh, mm -hmm. And you address that question so beautifully. Why were you drawn to that subject matter? You know, I think I think it goes to sort of this feeling of like kind of freedom. You know, sort of like looking at how freedom changes as you as you grow, being a very particular type of freedom that children have just by the nature of not having learned what the rules are you know or having conformed their minds to sort of you know one thing that we as we we grow we 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 start to limit our like what we believe is possible you know uh when you're when you're a kid there isn't this sort of uh delineation between well this is real and this is my imagination it's all real that's your that's your life experience and then you get taught as you get older that only things that you can see and touch and feel and smell are real and then these other things are fake you know and and there's a hierarchy there that is a, a weird thing and you start to limit who you believe you can be also you know you're like oh well i i can't fly like i can't uh you know stay young forever i can't breathe underwater you sort of learn all this stuff and limit yourself and i think that it's it's something that i think definitely connects to you know being being an, any kind of artist you know who sort of live in that which we can imagine and live in possibility and live in you know, things that are not tangible, you know, realities that aren't tangible. And, and I always feel like deeply connected to sort of the way that children think and the way that they see the world, the way they experience reality, and sometimes more so than I connect to the way that adults tend to interpret life. Um, and I think that that, so, so Wendy was really, part of it was I wanted to make the film at a moment when I was sort of growing up myself, you know, it was like a, a big transition in my life after Beast of the Southern Wild to go to suddenly have all this sort of like pressure and expectation around what I'm doing. When before that, I really just was making art with my friends. And so that sort of sense of like, how are we going to sort of face this very grown up world uh, with all these structures and maintain this sort of sense of, you know, that we can do the impossible and that we can live with the same level of freedom as we get older. And so th those were all issues that that brought me back to the, to the myth of Peter, which I'd always sort of been obsessed with since I was a child, but in a very different way. You know, you're, I, I find like my relationship with the myth of Peter Pan just like evolves at every stage of my life. I have a different, but he's always there. Um, I kind of came back to it for those reasons. Yes, it's a very deep mythology and through reading it through different stages of your life as you come, come to understand, we'd all like to live in that world permanently of the imagination. And I think, I guess, 
you know, artists are like working hard to do that. You know, that's just, that's it just our, becomes their that's job. That's our job, quote unquote, you know? Yes. So your process is very interesting. I mean, if, even if it was just that you were, you're shooting on film today, a brave choice, a difficult choice, you know, you're immersed in pro your project for a long period that you're using non-professional actors. I mean, all of these choices, I think just, you can see your films breathe like as, as living beings and not as like a fast food cinema or something, you know? Yeah, you know, we want, I, I, I really want things to be, there's like a magic in that to me, you know, there's like, a, I'm always trying to find ways that magic touches life, you know, and all, and every one of those choices has to do with that in some way, you know, I think that there's just something magical about film, you know, it's a magic trick, it's all still images that become something in motion, you know, the process of, you know, emulsion, like th those organic processes are just magical and, and they have a beauty to them that's that's different from something that's been kind of synthesized and that can be replicated exactly i think i think that's something that i'm always really interested in is um is is baking into the process sort of level of chaos that can't be totally controlled you know because there's a lot of beauty it feels more like life to me you know when things are so controlled and antiseptic and everything is like perfect it just doesn't feel like my life experience life to me is messy, people are messy, things are unpredictable. And in that spontaneity and unpredictability, there's a lot of feeling and beauty that I think you start to lose when you so tightly control these elements. And so for me, I'm, I'm, it's very impractical, you know, it makes everything much harder, but it injects this, like you're saying, it's a, it's a, it's a feeling and it's a sense of like organic uh, magic that was very connected to the story specifically, but also something that I'm just always looking to breathe into the movie to get them to feel alive in ways that movies can feel quite dead when they're, you know, when everything has been workshopped by a corporation and they're made inside of a computer, you know, and there's no nature in them, you know, there's no sun, there's no real water, like these things become, even though we can make things look so much like reality uh, digitally now, um, there's still, to me, there's a loss of, there's a, there's a loss of something that I, that, even if no one notices, I like <laughs> I like have to have it there because it, it's so important to just like you're saying, like the, a film feeling alive in a different way. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like the crack in the marble. You know, you could do something with 3D sculpture. Okay? I get. You know, you could do all that and it's perfect. But just to have that crack by time or something is that catches the eye is so interesting. Yeah. And so I believe this imp improvisatory approach, you know, is not just down to the visuals or the film, but in the, the scripting process, that's uh, evolving as well as you work. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I like to similarly, like, you know, there's a film that I imagine kind of before I start, but I don't want to make that movie because I've already seen that movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to find where this myth and this story lives in the world. I want to find people who, you know, I, I see them and I'm like, oh, you are, something in you is this character, you know? And then I get to learn who this character really is in the world as a, and, and, and that learning process goes for the locations too. It's like, well, where is this idea of Neverland? Like, what is, ne where, where does Neverland exist in our world? You know, the, not, you know, I didn't, I didn't, ha I knew I would try to find that, but when I started, but I didn't know where it was and then in working on it and thinking about it, I started thinking a lot about volcanoes as this like truly epic magical occurrence that happens on our planet and also like a source of youth, you know, we, mm -hmm. you know, that's like an example. It's like we were thinking of a lot about um, me and my sister Eliza who I wrote the film with, you know, is like where does, um, 
if, if Peter Pan were real, you know, and there wasn't just fairy dust that kept them young or whatever, like what would be a source of youth like that, that actually exists that we could go to ourselves? And this idea of a volcano being where the earth is being born and where life is sort of springing out out of control. And it has all these connections to on the planet of sort of a, a sense of youth. And so then finding that volcano and finding this island and the geography of the island begins to influence the geography of the script. And so for me, I'm just constantly revising, rewriting the script based on sort of the real things that I'm exploring and finding the people that I'm meeting and all that sort of comes into the film and then reshapes what it is. Even if the story seems, stays basically the same, it's not like the story radically changes, but kind of the way it's expressed, the elements of it um, radically change kind of any initial vision that I had before I sort of go out exploring and casting and all those things. It's so interesting because in our image obsessed society just going off on a tangent we're often valorizing youth obsessed with youth and and maintaining the shell but i don't you find i mean and maybe this is one reason why you work with children as well um it's not the the physical age on your face but it's almost just having like a childlike spirit that keeps you long, young you know You've been, I, I don't know what your thoughts were in meditating about it. It's funny, I'm going off really on a tangent, but I had this dream once where um, I was in the south of France and it was just a, just a complete story. And I was in this place where people were looking very young. Everyone was young, but then I would speak to them a while and I would understand that they were actually much, much older than me. And that yeah. for whatever, it was some strange place. And then I was sad when I was... Um, and then I and then I saw that if I was worried that my face would age suddenly, and yeah. it was kind of explained to me that you only looked as young as you as you were seen by the people who loved you and see like if you in this place it wasn't your physical shell it was like your happiness that yeah. registered on your face and your age, and then I was sad when I woke up from the dream, and then I realized that I I'm loved or like in a partnership you know uh that i actually had dreamt the world like the one that you live in because you're lucky to be loved and to be seen for your age by you're the you're the image of those who love you and those who surround you and that sense anyway that's complete tangent <laughs> i don't know why i i thought about it but it's no, but that, that's an idea in the film very much i mean this sort of there's this sort of cliche of like you're only as old as you feel mm -hmm. but there's a lot of truth to that and we try to kind of take that very simple idea and then actually make it like a, the rules of, of the world where actually, you know, and I do think it's true. I mean, you, you, you meet people that, I mean, and this is, this is very true in, in kind of the island where I shot the film, you know, I did all of my location scouting with these guys that, um, you know, are 58, 65 years old and just sprinting across like loose rock up the volcano for days at a time living off the land. And like, if you don't see their faces, you'd be like, these are 20, 22 year old athletes. They live, on their own terms they live with all this passion they they're physical they live naturally and, and, it, and it, you know and, and that when, when i was with these guys i was like well this is the peter pan story like these guys are eternally young you know and they feel young they look young and uh this is and, and there's something in this that i need to learn to sort of unlock what this story is is really about you know because obviously we don't we can't physically stay in the same place with our bodies you know that's not that's not important it's, it's but there is a a spirit that, that truly does affect how you age. The idea that age is like linked to time and it just happens in this very mathematical way is totally not true. And, and uh, 
we wanted to sort of take that to an extreme in the movie and play that out. Where if you feel if you feel sad, if you're worried, if you have hate and uh, distrust and you, you lose your faith, it causes you to, you can go from being a 14 year old boy to a 80 year old man yes. in the course of two weeks. So like that, that idea is something that we wanted to explore through the story. And and which you did um, beautifully. And tell me again about again your casting process is is very interesting, and you're getting to know your, I guess at this stage actors. But when you met them initially, you know, just children. Yeah, I mean it's it's vast. You know, we and and it's a different story for every person in the in the film. Um, but you know, we look at thousands and thousands of kids, and and we do it in a way that isn't. You know, it's not just like putting an ad out and seeing who's interested in acting. We try to we try to go into schools and go into, you know, community centers and places where find the kids that aren't gonna, that aren't looking online for where there's an audition. You know, we're looking for kids that don't necessarily have access to the world of um, acting, filmmaking, anything creative. And, and you know, cause there's just, there's so many talented people out there who just don't get a chance to express themselves, you know, for whatever, whatever circumstances they're in. So, you know, it's kind of an outreach thing, and and all of the kids were cast in South Louisiana, where where I live, South of New Orleans. Um, and then um, Joshua Mack, who plays Peter, is from Antigua, um, which is the neighboring island of Montserrat. We shot in Antigua as well, and um, that was a wild that was a wild process. You know, we were we looked for a long time and on several different islands, and we really weren't finding we weren't finding the right person. And it was really interesting. You know, it was like. I was amazed at how little, how few children were really engaged with their natural world at all. So many kids, not just like the, when you ask them what they did all day long, were just like fully engaged in technology, but their imagination was also like inside the world of games or something that they'd seen on TV. You know, there were very few kids that we could find that really like, when they imagined, they were imagining nature and their planet and engaged with sort of their environment and um yash was a super special kid um, we met him in a rastafari compound he's part of the house of the night bingy um in antigua and, and the way that those kids are living it's like a group of you know 10 15 kids that are all part of the sort of the broader family the kids wake up and they just are off in the woods you know and they're finding food and they're you know their their playground is their forest um and and that was a really that, that was really important for the story because you know we want like to, to sort of believe that there's this kid who'd been living on this island for hundreds of years he would be just fluent navigating any surface and, and they're very very few kids that can physically do that and aren't afraid of it and are comfortable and and like it, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, beyond just being an amazingly talented actor, he also had this incredible sort of just like fluency and physical aptitude for uh, the, the the places that we were gonna be filming. Yeah, and then, oh, and then, and then those kids, they, they have, they, there's always like a certain spirit of them that connects to the character, but then I learned so much from working with them and interviewing them and workshopping these scenes. And I give them a tremendous amount of agency to sort of own their character and, and, and always ask what they would do in a situation, how they would say something. And so it's a lot of work to kind of like get these characters to really fuse with them, not that they're playing themselves, but um, to where they really feel in control and they really know who they are. Yeah, you really breathe, it really breathes. It feels like an, another skin on their skin, you know, and it moves with them. I will, it's, a, it's a definite, and they always say that that's one of the more difficult things. You just directing, you direct children as though they are, well, they're little people anyway, but we, you, we really see that. They're not just standing in as a symbol for youth. They are little people. 
Um, so those techniques to get, I was wondering what kind of questions you asked them. I mean, in order to find who the care, who would be, who would fill those roles. Oh, like in casting? Yeah. You know, it's pretty simple. We're, we're not, we don't show up with a script, you know, no one reads anything. There's like a sort of a set thing. We know it, there's like all these different stages essentially you go through an audition. First, you just try to like make some jokes and loosen the kid up and see if they can get comfortable, which is very hard. I mean, I can never do it, you know, in front of an audition. And we sort of fool around and then we have a couple of, we, we ask them if they have a story to tell us, you know, some, some people do, some people don't. One thing, and then one thing we always do um, with this film, we, we would ask kids like, which of these superpowers would you have? You know, it was like to fly, to stay young forever, to breathe underwater, be invisible. And, you know, and you start to try to sort of trigger their imagination in some kind of way. And, you know, you're just looking for like a spark and a kid that's not afraid and a kid that's has like, uh, just, we're trying to see if they have an, an imagination that surprises us. That That's kind of the first stage is like, do they think in a way that's really engaging and different? You know, and then we get into, then we played like very, very simple, basic improvised acting games with, with, with some of them that, um, you know, it's just a scenario that, really simple like for Yashua um you know and a lot of times like when we were auditioning in the Caribbean you're not inside you're not like we're going to a classroom we're just out and he's like okay can we just try some acting here I'm standing out there I was like okay take me to your favorite tree so he, he takes me to his favorite tree and he's like telling me about the tree and why it's the best tree and it's like he clearly has this really involved inner world and this really insightful relationship with just the tree you know and so I was like okay well we're going to play a game where I'm from the lumber company and I'm coming to cut down your tree and you have to stop me. Yeah. And so we just put them in a very clear, simple scenario and just see, will they drop into character? Can they take direction? And like, do they enjoy the feeling of entering a different situation than the one that they're in? You know, that that's almost the most important thing is, you know, cause there's no real motive, you know, kids, like kids like these are not, you know, they don't have parents that are pushing them to be actors. Like there's no reason to do this for them, but they don't care that they're getting paid exactly. They don't really understand that. You know, like none of this really motivates them so you have to find people that really somewhere in them really enjoy the feeling of acting and becoming a different character and if you don't have that to fall back on that there's like a real pride and pleasure that they take in like wow I just really felt that you know I just really became that other person you kind of need that to fall back on just to just to know that you're working with someone who is going to love it on some level enough to to go through the process which is going to which is very unlike anything they've ever done before and very challenging and really you know, um, the reason has to be that they love it. And so you look for that too. Right, I know. And the, pr the pressure of you for them to, you know, be so free on camera when they really are the whole, a bit the setting and everything, but they're pretty much the whole film. It's not like they're sh sharing it with a lot of others. Speaking of Spark, I mean, it was just a, a, such a, a breakout performance with um, Colangene, uh, Wallace. They would, that I was just so, and it, I think it's she, she, like everyone just like fell in love with her. <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> was, was that a sudden thing too? I mean, I guess it was a, such a, a large casting process as well for. Yeah, I mean, casting Colangene was interesting. She, like her first audition was really, really strange. I wasn't there, you know, it was, it, she didn't open up at all. She just was like kind of weird and, and very quiet um, and very, very young. You know, she was younger, both for Yashua and Quivenjane, they were both five when we met them, which was younger than, you know. So she like barely made it through the first kind of like, because we sort of go in rounds of like picking out, okay, we're gonna call back 20 kids out of 2000 or whatever it is. Um, 
And I remember she was the last person we put in, um, which was a miracle. Because <laughs> um, once we actually, once I actually started working with her, um, you know, it just was not even a question. She just was so incredible. Um, and she just has so much going on. Uh, and she's, she's so, she was so wise beyond her years, mm. um, which was something I, I didn't even know I was looking for in the character until I met her. I was like, oh, this is actually the most important thing about this girl is that she has this incredibly wise, involved, like, uh, vision and understanding of what's going on with her in her world, even though she's really too young to know what's really happening. She understands it on this really deep level. And that's very much who she was. Um, and it was really interesting because she, like, you just could talk to her like an adult. You know, you didn't have to baby talk her. There's, you could just engage, she wanted to be engaged with as a peer, you know? And it, I, it was funny, like, I, cause I spent tons of time just hanging out with her. And I remember going to a birthday party once and seeing her with other kids and her just kind of like start to perform like she was actually her age, which was six years old. And she would see me sort of doing these goofy things. And I was just sitting really like a Chuck E. Cheese eating pizza. Um, and she would kind of look at me being like, yeah, I know, I know. I'm like just pretending right now. Like, you know that I'm actually like a sentient being here, you know? <laughs> um, so, but it was so interesting to see her like, she, she, she knew it, you know, she could be a kid just to fit in with other kids, but she just was another miraculous um, person with, with wisdom and talent just far beyond her years and, you know, just fascinating. And you could just see it when you looked at her face, which was so much of that character was always going to be built on kind of her thoughts and just her, her look having all this depth and complexity to it. You know, I think that's something that we always, you really need to lean on to when you're sort of making a film with kids is like a lot of times this, your story is just in their face. It's, it's not always going to be easy for them to memorize lines and you know, you got to limit what you're going to do with dialogue. You have to sort of really lean on emotion and feeling and just kind of the complexity of someone's inner spirit, which has to kind of come through their face into the camera just when they're thinking something and, and looking at something. It occurs to me now that your films could be shown to children because now, of course, many children are, are very, and, and I understand, are very protected in their childhood. As you said, not having a relationship with nature, certainly not being able to go out into the wild or even into their neighborhood without, yeah. you know, chaperoning. And so it occurs to me that they might be shown to young people who say, well, it was, it was kind of like that before you could go. Of course, it's extreme. That's a, you bring it to a whole other level. But where you could, there was this freedom. Um, I had it a little bit. I guess my mother would have had it more. And your own childhood uh, in New York was rich in other ways, culturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had an amazing childhood. And I, I was really lucky. Like, you know, I grew up in Queens uh, as a small child. And, and we had this alleyway between the houses mm -hmm. where I could just go out. You know, like my, my parents, my, my, I mean, it was interesting, my mom and my dad are folklorists. And my mom uh, at the time was writing a book about children's games and children's play. So like her job was just to watch, like she would just sit on the sort of stoop of her house and just let me and my sister run wild with all these other kids that lived in this alleyway. And we just were out there like imagining, inventing worlds, creating games. And she would sort of just take notes, let us do whatever we wanted, you know, and then come back for dinner. You know, so I did, even though I grew up in the city, I got to have this sort of experience of like, you know, this sort of limited, it's a little world, but for me, it was the universe, like this, this alleyway that was just an endless, bottomless adventure and all these other kids that we kind of had these experiences and worlds with. And, and, and then beyond that too, you know, just my parents, you know, they're not, people don't really know what folklore are, but they're basically sort of documenting, celebrating folk cultures within New York City, like 
all different, you know, all the different sort of ethnic groups and different sort of cultural experiences that people have and way they, ways they express themselves. So I just had like a really amazingly varied childhood where, you know, just instead of getting a babysitter, I would be at a gospel concert. I'd be at a Chinese opera. I would be at a birthday party with like the freaks from the Coney Island freak show. And like, this was like every weekend, like these totally different worlds and cultural experiences. Um, and, you know, yeah, just, you know, and, and just, they, 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 also are people who just love uh, eccentrics and people that express themselves. And I think that they definitely pass that on to me. And, you know, anybody, anyone in my film, anybody you see in, in one of my films, like the most minor character, if you run into them at a bar, you want to spend a year with them. You know, it's like people that just are so unique and such individuals and have such fascinating ways of thinking about the world. And so part of the thing I love about making a movie is just populating an entire world with people like that. Even if they're just have one line or they're sitting at the bar, it's like, I hope that when you watch the film, you can sort of feel this kind of um, celebration of really eccentric different people, which goes with the kids and the adults and everybody who's involved. Oh, it's those details that we love. It's those are the details that you can't, you know, you know, committee filmmaking and stuff like that. You can't, it kind of, uh, steamrolls over that. No, City yeah. Lore, which is the project, your, your father's, your parents' project, I guess they do it jointly, is mm -hmm. a wonderful project. And it may, and I can really see uh, its foundation, because as I understand, it's honoring folklore or this idea, I guess, that I see also in your films, that any anything can be art, you know, or anyone has a creative capacity, um, particularly, perhaps, especially those who may be ne neglected or forgotten, or, you know, in the case of in, in New Orleans, or, you know, city drowning, and, you know, there's people who are surviving and thriving. And so I, I, I can see kind of the roots of your upbringing. It seems like a, a kind of special thing to have been passed on to you. Yeah. Um, were you involved in City Lore then as, uh, in the projects? Uh, I mean, not really, not really. I think, you know, uh, once I started getting into filmmaking, I did a couple of like, you know, I was like, got out of school and needed a job and I helped edit some, uh, some documentaries that City Or worked on and things like that. But, you know, I was always like, it's just been, it, it's around, it was my environment, you know, it surrounded me, it was my reality. You know, it didn't really, it was like, I, I didn't really know what, like, this idea that, you know, when I got to college and then people were like thinking practically about what their careers were. It was like a total culture shift for me. It was like, oh, my parents have just always done this thing that they loved and hustled to do it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like, it's not a practical path that they walk, but they made it work. And, and it always just, I never sort of question, you know, just, no, I never really questioned like sort of um, wanting to be an artist and, you know, all the sort of practical hurdles to doing that because I just had such a great, unique set of parents to sort of guide me, you know, in that kind of way. It's interesting that you mentioned documentary because it's one thing that I thought, even though your stories are uh, imagined stories, but that approach of having it evolved based on what's around you and the the people and it's very much a documentary approach you kind of forming yeah. the story with what you have um which i love i think that i think that there's a big it's interesting because there's been this kind of renaissance there's a renaissance in television as you know and a renaissance in documentary in terms of what's possible now the cameras are all smaller and mm -hmm. the, the stories that can be told i could think there's a real hunger for it whether it's fiction filmmaking or documentary yeah. filmmaking and people want real stuff yeah yeah no and you know i also just 
like documentary is a genre, you know, I don't think, I, I don't think of it as like, well, there's two types of films. One is true and one is false. Like, it's just not like that. You know, every, everyone's making a movie, whether they're, whether they're documenting real people doing real things, you're, every film, the filmmaker is affecting the reality that you're seeing and they're fabricating it on some level, you know? Um, and so I, I really believe there's a fluidity between the world of documentary and the world of fiction. And, and I think that, yeah, I think my process is, is, a, is, a, is that I develop the films like they're documentaries. You know, I look for sort of, I'm looking for, for a reality, you know, uh, not a reality of story, which documentaries tend to be telling a true story, obviously, but like a reality of, of these elements, um, you know, and I, I'm really interested in, in just, I, I don't feel like fantasy and, 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 and documentary should be so radically separated, you know, like every, everything we're doing as artists is we're, we're looking at the world and we're uh, interpreting it, you know, um, and, and you're, and, and even anything, anything that's a good fantasy is coming from real life. It's commenting on real life. And it's, you know, so I'm always trying to push, push these stories that, and I love fantastical stories because they have this, context and this mythology and they speak to these broad universal themes you know like I feel like the story of Peter can be told in any place in the world and it's gonna it's gonna relate in ways that a story about the water uh, in New Orleans is much more specific you know and so I, I love sort of these universal stories but then approaching them with the same kind of like push towards reality and relating to real life um, that, that a documentary would use. And it sounds like your parents were obviously like great teachers in terms of what they passed on to you. I don't know what, in terms of the schools you went to, it sounds like you had a lot of uh, autonomy. I mean, it just seems like it. I don't know. I know you went to a Wesleyan, but I don't know before that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I always made stuff outside of school, you know, like, and, and places, the schools that I went to, you know, I just went to the public high school in my town and, um, and then went to, went to Wesleyan, but I always had like a group of creative friends and all of the work that I did that were like, I think kind of led to being a filmmaker was happening. Like sometimes it would be like, oh, you have an option to write a paper. You can make a movie about, you know, the, the economy in Europe. And so we would get together, we would make a movie of our, it was like a metaphor or whatever, you know, but just so that we can make movies, you know, and that, I was in high school and then in, and then when I got to school to college you know the there's great there was a great film program at Wesleyan um, but I also was just making films on the side with my friends you know every year I make a couple of short films and I've always just loved that I mean that's just been how I have fun you know um and so and, and so you know it never that that to me is like freedom and like you have the most freedom and autonomy when you're not doing things for a job or for school you're just doing it for to express yourself because you want to and you know so I've always tried to for as long as I can remember, you know, that's what I've done for fun. So, you know, and then it was like a real, pulled a real quick one on the world to then make that also what I do for a living. So, you know, just oh, this is great. You've been preparing it though all your life. I'm looking in the background, you have your guitars there, your piano, your, your amp. Um, so, and I know, and you powerful um, scores, um, music for, for your films. Um, I was wondering how music may have informed or inspired uh, your creative process. Um, I mean, it's a huge, like, I, kind of, I, I sort of started with music, you know, in high school I was in a band that literally is the guitar from that band. I haven't gotten a new one. Uh, but, uh, you know, I kind of came to film through music in some ways, you know, and it was something, you know, uh, and it has a huge influence on just kind of 
it really informs how you write your script, you know, because there's so much information in music and if you kind of have a sense of like the language that music is going to be adding to a scene, it changes what needs to be said. If I know I'm writing a scene where there's going to be heavy score and I know what the score is saying, if the score is going to be telling the audience that the situation is dangerous, I don't need someone to say that it's dangerous. I can just have them, to, I can get something else done in that scene. You know, it's like, it's, it's always, it's like you're always thinking about like information that you're getting through the audience and, and, it, and it makes it so that you can kind of communicate more in a moment. And I think a lot about, in, in both these two films, you know, I always, when I was a kid, I, I remember always scoring my own life all the time. You know, whatever I was, was like playing a theme song for some movie in my head, you know, I was like walking down the street, like Batman, and like, and it, like increase the drama of every moment of my, of my life as a little kid, that like there were these themes in my head. And, and, I, and I think a lot about that with both these films, you know, there are what the real story of the film isn't what's happening. It's not the plot of the movie. It's these journeys that these two young girls take. And, and, this, and the score is always uh, letting, allowing you to experience what's happening in the way that they want to experience it. You know, the score tells you how they feel about each moment, not necessarily what I feel about each moment or the audience feels about it. So, but, so you, you can sort of really bring the audience into a point of view uh, in a really visceral way, you know? Um, one thing that the example I, ta I talk about with this is just like, you know, the scene in Beast where Hush Puppy's running with the fireworks beginning of the movie, you know, if you just watch that scene without a score, you'd just be like, holy shit, this kid is about to blow herself up and this is horrible. Like, this is so dangerous and who would ever allow a child to have fireworks in her hands and but you know because I know that the score is going to be telling you that for Hush Puppy this is like the most spectacular joyful patriotic glorious thing that she could ever do you know and you know that and when you write so so it it's a tool in that way to just kind of know that you're going to bring you know to, to bring the audience through into inside of a character that is very different from them that sees things differently than they would ever see it. It's interesting because as I think of New Orleans and I think of the sounds of different cities, I think of New Orleans being a kind of a musical, it's a, something I can, in terms of the way language is used, yeah. and maybe I can also relate to it as well because I live in Paris, so I think the relationship to time may be kind of a little bit related <laughs> to the way we treat time here, you know, the French influence. Um, what, what drew you to New Orleans? I mean, the setting, wonderful, but I mean, I for filmmaking but to live there I'm not knowing um, I know you're just outside no no I'm in the city I'm in the city oh, yeah. okay. um but uh yeah I I mean I it's so I I wanted to move here when I was when I was 12 mm -hmm. my parents took me here um and we would go to different cities um and sort of meet up with the folklorists they would take us around and when I came to New Orleans I just had a couple of memories you know, and this may be me like looking back and reinterpreting it in a way that makes sense now, but I just was drawn to it. I talked about it from then on. And I, I soon afterwards like discovered Tom Waits and he sings about New Orleans. And then I discovered Jim Jarmusch and he made films in New Orleans. And it was like, I just had this imagination that New Orleans was just like, neither of those guys are from here, but they, but they, that this is this, this world of artists. And when you're here, like the, like the relationship to art is so in the moment and, and it's so ephemeral, you know, and I really, really connected to that. I think it, I remember as a kid, like just seeing people playing music in the streets and it, like they weren't, clearly weren't doing it for money. You know, no one was ever, they weren't gonna get famous. Like that, like that the, the city has its own like internal sort of like celebrity in a way. It's not really celebrity, but it's just like, there isn't the same kind of like 
you know, when you're like being from New York, there's such an eye to like, you're like, are you successful? You know, like success means you're making money off your art. It means you're getting famous from your art. It has this like external modulator that lets you know whether you're, you're making good art or not, you know? Whereas here it's like people will spend the entire year working on something that's gonna be seen one day in Mardi Gras and then be destroyed and never seen again and not photographed, you know, like it, it's, and, and, the fa- and the fact of sort of just like doing something creatively for the love of doing it for its own sake and for the joy of expression and, and the experience of it um, is just like a, that's like a cultural milieu like around art that's so not, that, that, I, that I really connect to and that's very, very different from how art the relationship between people in art in a place like New York or Los Angeles, these places where movies get made, uh, where it's much more of like a product, you know, um, and, and, I, and, I, and I love that about New Orleans and it, and because of that, and it draws people like that, and, and, and that has just been infinitely inspiring to me, um, you know, all the, you know, every single day to, to be here and just experience the city in that way. It always makes me, like, I never run out of movies I want to make. You don't have children. No. No, but I mean, I don't, because I was wondering what, like, if you're thinking about that. I don't know, because you were making films with children and whether you like to have children or what things that you think it would be important for them to know and remember and, you know, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, my kids in the movie are like my surrogate children. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I had these experiences of being, nothing like being a parent, you know, I, I really am not like a parental force. I'm like one of, the, I'm like one of the, the package but um you know it it's it's yeah it's interesting I mean I don't know if I'm like if I've like substituted having my own kids but like just going on these incredibly immersive adventures with other people's kids you know for me I I just I, I like I love children I respect them you know and I and I and I think that we don't take them seriously for me, the film was intended to be like a children's liberation movie. You know, it's like kids are, you know, uh, I'm not trying to get on it like it's like a social issue or something like that, but it's just like kids are incarcerated. You know, we put them in these schools sort of to learn largely to just teach them, largely to control them and control how they think. And, you know, and I just think that there's this sense of like a child is like a, adults look at children as underdeveloped versions of themselves, you know, instead of actually, we oftentimes adults are just broken down, corrupted, you know, monstrous versions of who they were when they were children. And, you know, and I think that there's a lot to be learned from children. um, And there's a lot to do and think about of how to not make the process of growing up be a process of just breaking someone down and and, and breaking that spirit so that they can do something that they don't want to do. You know what I mean? Like that's what we learn primarily as we grow up is how to do a job, which for most people is not what they would want to do with their day, you know? Um, and how do you force yourself to, to live that way? Um, you know, that's a, it's a kind of a horrifying process, you know, um, that isn't what happens to everybody, but that, that's a lot of what we put children through. And I think that there's, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's a real, it's a real damage to the world and it's a real damage to these kids to, to sort of be told that what, in, what isn't is not possible and, and not to let them live into their dreams and really, you know, um, raise them in a way that they, that 
that growing up is an expansion of possibility, an expansion of what they can do and what they can be. Um, and, and I think that those are all things that I think about, you know, like the thought of bringing a kid into the world and sending them to, to school was like so horrifying to me that I hadn't done it, you know? Oh, yeah. um, so I think, I think a lot about like, what would be a world that I would want to, to, um, to bring a kid into? And I don't know if I've found it yet. Sure, it's difficult. Well, let me tell you, I'm not saying I haven't had kids and I, and I, I won't have them at, at this stage, I don't think, but um, yeah, but I have surrogates like over a hundred with this project. <laughs> I have like, but it, and it's great, you know, not as the children aren't as, as young as the ones on average that you're working with, but they give me so much hope. Um, some are in high school or in middle school, but um. Uh, but because they're really committed, as you say, and serious. I think that like children get, or young people get, like there's a bad reputation for, oh, that they're not serious or they're, no, they're really serious <laughs> and they, they're yeah. willing to work hard for the things that they believe in. And I think yeah. that you mentioned something that's so important that people should feel the freedom to pursue the things that they love and, and maybe put what they love to the service of other, you know, important causes too, both can be done. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm sure that you've seen, and particularly because you, you're, you're bringing the arts to, to people who might, young people who might not have that opportunity and how they flourish when they feel that they're part of a collective and what they can accomplish something beautiful. And I yeah. feel that that's true for everyone. It's just not just the arts. When people are feeling listened to and respected. And they, yeah. um, I think it's the thing is, this is what I've noticed. Because we have about 50-50%. Well, I'm not exactly, but a lot of students from the arts. And then STEM and law and social workers and, you know, yeah, doctors. Yeah. No, it's not just art, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but they're, in terms of who's come to our projects, about 50-50. So mm -hmm. some of them, they didn't get to pursue the arts or whatever, but they're very interested in creativity. So, but they just love to feel that, oh, you mean I can be a part of a, an exhibition or I, you, you mean you consider like what I do has a creative aspect? Yeah. And I'm sure you have seen it, like when they feel like they can be a part of something and um, it gives them so much more energy, you know, instead of having this yeah. feeling you have to do a job and erase your personality and yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think kids don't act serious because people don't take them seriously. You know, you take a kid seriously, and they'll, you know, they'll step up more more often than not. Yeah. I guess, I, and we were speaking about the future, but if you weren't using your art to tell these, I think, important stories to give us these dreams to invite um, into that respect, intelligence, imagination, children. I wouldn't ask you to take on another career, but what are some of your other causes that you like to support or do you think are important, you know, as you think about the future? Well, I mean, I do a lot of work. I don't know if this, this may not be exactly answering the question, but I, I do a lot of work sort of with young filmmakers. Um, I, have a, I have a nonprofit um, called Court 13 that does, oh, yeah. that is about sort of, you know, helping people make impossible movies, you know, people coming from circumstances where, people generally don't get to make films or just who have a film they want to make that anyone would tell them can't be done you know and uh, I do a, I, I really love working on people's stories and helping them realize their their visions and their and their and their films um, and so that's 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 another huge passion of mine is you know I want to I want to see movies that come from new places um, and come from new people 
it's such a expensive and accessible art form and, and it's so ruled by you know these very specific creative capitals but it's ruled by racism and patriarchy and all this stuff that just so vastly limits who gets the opportunity to make a film and there's just so many amazing films out there inside of people uh that are not getting the chance to tell them and you know and i, and I think that that stuff will change cinema and change the world and you know so i'm, I'm always passionate about like look, looking out and, and finding creative people you know um who, who haven't who, who have something to say who have a vision haven't had a chance to do it and trying to figure out how to help them um make, make films or act or whatever it is you know i just Partly for the, I, I love doing it. And then also it's like, I just want to see the movies, so. <laughs> yeah, you're the audience for those movies too. <laughs> <laughs> you need to support it. Um, no, I'm sure it's apart from the, the practical knowledge and then to see the, you know, learn from you by example. But you know, you've been so inspiring. I mean, we didn't really discuss it with, when, you know, Beats of the Southern Wild came out. The, the great success that you had at a, from a film that was made in such a uh, brave, idiosyncratic, you know, artistic, personal way is really inspiring for young, well, film, any kind of filmmakers or anyone wanting to get into filmmaking. Thank you. I want to wish you well with, um, with all your projects and with your public service arts projects. And to, to thank you, Ben Zeitlin, for sharing your creative world with us, for your stories which honor the uh, intelligence, bravery, and imagination of children and remind us all of our collective childhoods and, and the importance of adventure, let's not forget. And uh, thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you so much. I was, it was great to be here. Hello, my name is Antje Ronkoff, a sustainability and innovation podcaster and current freshman at Florida University. The films of Ben Zeilin, with their stories of young people finding strength and resilience through independent adventures, speak to me on a personal level. Some say we only know ourselves when we reinvent ourselves in a new place then we understand where we come from. Although I was born in Ukraine, for the past six years, I've been living in the United States of America. The first time I learned about this adjustment in my life, I did not believe it. When I was 12 years old, my dad came up to me with this offer to study abroad. I thought it was a joke, so I responded, why not? A week later, he brought a large pile of files and dropped them on my table. When I asked what it was, he simply said, no rush, they have about a week to choose. Some of you might say, Oh my god, it was probably so hard for you. Well, you're not wrong. Since my English skills were rather on amateur level, I was unable to communicate with my peers. The whole year I was mastering the art of French miming. As I grew up, first, I learned the language, and second, I learned the importance of adding value wherever it's possible. Art is one of the ways to inform people about various problems. A great example would be Keith Haring, an American artist that broadcasted his battles with HIV or AIDS onto canvas and onto the streets where it could be seen by all. Although people such as Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos see our future on a different planet, it is crucial to keep Earth in the best possible shape. Ben Zaitlin made a great point about the need to reflect on the future of this planet, the beauty and the mystery of childhood on the natural world. Personally, I think that people should consider keeping things original. 
It's just like a good old printed book. There's something about its smell that brings many warm memories. Creative Process is an incredible organization with many bright storytellers, and I'm excited to be part of this family. Creative Process podcast is supported by Jan Michalski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interviews producer on this podcast was Constantine Ronkow. Digital media coordinator is Anna Story Brown. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you would like to get involved with our creative process community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative work for review, just drop us a line at teamwork.creativeprocess.info. Thank you for listening. Have a good one.